0: Bye mama. Bye mommy. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. It's fine. It's probably fine. It's going to be fine. How it go? It was fine. Welcome back everyone. Chad Hubbard back with you to close out this series, It's Fine, with this week's message being about good grief. So we've talked about the past two weeks about this idea of establishing healthy habits that will benefit the relationships you care most about, even in our relationship with God. And when it comes to relationships, others will reap from the emotional habits you so. So we're getting back into emotions, picking up where Tim left off last week. And we've been looking at emotions as a whole. And we've brought up how you should pay as much attention to our emotional hygiene as we do our physical hygiene. And if you recall, we talked about how when we say it's fine, it's usually not fine. We use it as a way to get people to leave us alone when we're upset or avoiding to have to address an issue or a particular set of issues, we spend loads of time, energy, and money on personal hygiene. We talked about how that's a big dollar industry. And two weeks ago, I demonstrated and had you know a big table up here full of products, primarily beard products, uh, that you know some of us may find ourselves placing a lot of emphasis, time, and money on. And Tim, last week, said that, you know, he didn't have as many products as I had, but I will take it on good authority that he may, in fact, just have more uh, products than I do, and that he even has a hair straightener for his beard. But more to get verified, so I present you with unquestionable facts, but we talked about how we place all this time, money, and and effort in our personal hygiene, and we talked about how life expectancy grew sharply when people increased the time and investment in that particular area on personal hygiene, and as the rate of disease decreased, the enjoyment of life increased dramatically. We know that what is at stake when it comes to physical hygiene, but what's at stake with our mental health? If you recall, we defined what hygiene meant, being those practices that keep you healthy. And we touched upon on what is emotional hygiene. And we talked about, in much the same way, that dental hygiene involves brushing our teeth and flossing every day that we're advised to do, and that personal hygiene involves cleaning ourselves and taking care of our physical injuries when we sustain them, emotional hygiene refers to being mindful of our psychological health and adopting a brief uh, set of daily habits to monitor and address the psychological wounds when we sustain them. If you recall, we asked what would change in our lives if we spent as much time on our emotional hygiene as we did on our physical hygiene. This week, we're getting into that area of life that if we keep avoiding it, if we keep saying it's fine, will definitely catch up with us. And that particular area that we're going to focus on is that area of life in dealing with loss. Given as a response, it's fine is often a sign. It's a sign of loss. It's a sign that life is not working out like you want it to, or that you thought it would go. It's true that most of our unprocessed emotion lies in the cemetery of loss. Change always includes loss. And loss always needs to be grieved. Even though grief is mostly associated with death, loss doesn't always involve death. The emotion of grief is created by a change or loss. It can be caused by losing a game or a match. It can be caused by getting laid off. Maybe you had to put your pet down after a uh, prolonged illness or a sudden illness. Maybe you were dumped in a relationship. Maybe you received a rejection letter via email, or in the mail, or even by phone, or even worse, maybe by text. Maybe you have were separated, divorced. Perhaps it was caused by being single again and not finding anyone to date or to marry. Losing someone you love having a miscarriage, having your child born with a lifelong disability. I could go on. Maybe some of you can relate to these. Maybe there's other ones that I didn't touch upon. You see, some of us are taught how to deal with loss in, I'll name, three different ways. You're taught to bury your feelings. You're taught to replace the losses or you're taught that time heals everything. So now I'd like to share a time in my life where I had to deal with loss. And I would tell you that it wasn't just one loss, it was a combination of losses. It was the one-two punch that I'd received uh, back in 2014. My dad had been, uh, for quite a while, uh, dealing with kidney failure, And he'd been spending more time in the hospitals and I was having to fly back from the West Coast to the East Coast because I, at that time, was stationed in uh, the high desert in California. And on my last trip back, it ended up being uh, my time to say goodbye. And my dad finally passed in August of 2015. And I was trying to deal with that loss, but not, But a few months later, I had the, the second loss in which I found out that I'd been passed over promotion to the next rank in the Marine Corps. And so that, that one-two combination hit me pretty hard, and I was trying to deal with it. But my way of dealing with it was trying to replace the losses, and I would just make purchases that, you know, I didn't need to. And that, you know, probably put a little bit of financial strain uh, on my family at at the time. Not significant, but enough that we didn't need to deal with that as well. And I was very, very angered at the time. And so trying to deal with the loss of my father and then dealing with the loss of that being passed over for promotion, which many of you may have, have experienced in your life, um, I found that I think I was placing so much of my approval on the approval of men when I should have been focused on God's approval, and so I shifted my perspective, and I dug deep, and I came to the realization that all I needed was God's approval, and so I just drove on, carried out the plan of the day, got back to the unit that I was with, and did what I knew best. And that was accomplishing the mission and taking care of Marines. But then around June 2015, so about a year later, I found out I'm deploying to Iraq for seven months on a combat tour. And so I had a year to try to process and grieve. And by handing it over to God and seeking his approval, even though I didn't know why I'd be going downrange again and what he had in store for me to do, I followed him faithfully. And then halfway during that combat deployment, I received a call from my commanding officer all the way back here in the States. And he informed me while I was in the deserts of Iraq that on the second attempt for promotion, I had been selected, and that I would indeed be promoted to the next rank. And so, placing my trust in God, things worked out all in the end. But I had to grieve the loss, and I had to put my focus in the right place, which was with my Heavenly Father. What have you lost that you've never grieved? Where did we get that this is a wise thing to do, to not grieve loss? You see, failing to grieve loss buries our emotions alive. See, we bury dead things not living things. Burying emotions alive ensures that they'll show up later in a different way that perhaps has even more consequences. How many grief-laden people wind up in the ditches of alcoholism? They become a workaholic. They have broken relationships, perhaps compulsive eating or spending binges. Let's make it personal. Everyone around you will eventually feel what you fail to grieve. When we bury living emotions, we kick the can down the road. Later problems can become greater problems, as we talked about two weeks ago. Emotions don't necessarily have consequences. Not dealing with them does. Most of us cannot compartmentalize loss. When I'd have to go downrange and deploy, I'd often compartmentalize. For those of you who watch the the hit series uh, SEAL Team, they talk about three-foot world. You deal with your three-foot world, and you don't look further downrange. You end up compartmentalizing things so you can get the mission accomplished. But that only goes for so long. You can't kick the can down the road forever. Most of us, we're not designed to, actually, or meant to compartmentalize loss. See, from Scripture, one of the most interesting interactions that occurred between Jesus and his followers teaches us about what kind of habits we are to follow. There are several examples in our Bible that show Jesus effectively and appropriately dealing with emotions. The story of Lazarus is one of those examples. For in John chapter 11, verses 33 through 34, we find that when Jesus saw her, that being Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit. And he was troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. In fact, when Jesus heard the news that Lazarus was sick, he and his disciples didn't go back to visit with Lazarus. He told the guys two days later that Lazarus Lazarus had died. Then Jesus decided to go back to the town of Bethany to resurrect his very close friend. So far, there's no mention of Jesus weeping. By the time they had gotten there, Lazarus was in the tomb for a period of four days. Mary took her brother's death death the hardest. In fact, people were brought in to comfort her. When Mary learned that Jesus had shown up, she ran out to meet him. When Jesus saw her weeping, he was deeply moved. This was something that John took notice of because we read this further on where it states, Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Mary, grieving the loss of her brother, deeply moved Jesus to tears. It wasn't that Lazarus was dead that troubled Jesus. It was Mary's mourning that deeply moved him. It didn't move him to resurrect Lazarus because that was already decided several days before. You see, he could have healed his great friend, several days before when he heard he was sick. He could have done it remotely as he had healed others. He had a plan that would provide a greater miracle that would cause the religious leaders to finally take action to put Jesus to death. Lazarus' resurrection would lead, ultimately, to Jesus' death. You see, Jesus will move to tears because he had compassion for Mary. We see how God, in the flesh, feels when his children experience grief and when they mourn. Dane Ortlund, in his book, Gentle and Lowly, describes it this way, the deeper into weakness and suffering and testing we go, the deeper Christ's solidarity with us. As we go down into pain and anguish, We are descending ever deeper into Christ's very heart, not away from it. Right before this moment that John captures this, John hears Jesus describe himself as the good shepherd. He wasn't a shepherd, but used it as an analogy of who he is to us. David, while king of Israel, wrote one day of the most popular songs in human history, Psalm 23. Notice how he describes God as his shepherd and what happens when he walks through a dark valley. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, see, David shares how he has walked through this valley, and sometimes there's no way around the darkest valley. You just have to go through it, willingly or unwillingly. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. You see, it seems true for most of us that loss at times can be fear driven. What if I don't get another chance? What if I don't see them again? We tend to be focused with who or what we've lost or what is going to happen. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. His presence is what we're promised. The promise of his presence is what we need most. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, neither the rod nor the staff feels good at the time it is applied. Why are sheep comforted by the rod and staff? They bring comfort of being able to trust him. See, notice what Lindsay Monseves observes. Without the direction of a good shepherd, sheep can wander straight into danger. The sheep don't understand they're walking into danger and probably get frustrated when the shepherd tries to redirect them. Shepherds sometimes use goads, which is a spiked stick that is used to prod an animal. A goad can be painful, but it helps the sheep get back on the right path. So, what are the signs that you haven't grieved a loss? A sign that an emotion has been buried is a dollar response to a 50 cent incident. This is when something small triggers a large response, or when an incident and the response are disproportionate. Be careful in pointing this out with other people. It's better when we discover it on our own. What should we do about loss? You should grieve. There's a good grief. Make space for good grief. Bad decisions will fill the void of absence of grief. And in the absence of grief, bad decisions seem like a great substitute. This is what usually happens when people who are well into their adulthood start thinking, I didn't get the life I wanted. They make a decision to go get it no matter the cost. Maybe they oddly finance that boat. Just kidding. I did want a boat, but I got stationed in the middle of the desert. So the boat went out the window. Instead, I got a Harley. That's for another time, another story. My wife will roll her eyes at that. Some will get some debt or trade in whatever wasn't working for something new. It can create relational strain often due to the loss that is left, not grieved. So how do you make space for good grief? What have you lost that you have failed to grieve? Healthy emotional habits lead to healthy personal relationships and spiritual growth. God doesn't seem to heal what we choose not to admit to feel. Let me say that again. God doesn't seem to heal what we choose not to admit to feel. Healthy emotional habits wills us, rather will allow us, to experience the most out of our relationship with God. So at this time, I'd like to leave you with this as we have a beyond-the-message moment that we ask you to consider thinking about going into the next week. Have you ever seen someone demonstrate trust in God in the midst of loss and grief? And if so, did it surprise you in any way? What do you think it would take for you to be able to trust God that deeply? And so as we close out this series... I'd just like to remind you that, first and foremost, make sure you reach out to the only one who truly knows how you're feeling, who understands you. Do not be afraid to have good grief, for you need to process it. You need to have those emotional healthy habits, so you don't pass on the negative aspects and consequences that will come about to those who are surrounded by you. So let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your message. Thank you for your word. This is an important series as we often neglect to look into our emotional hygiene and rather stay fixated on our physical hygiene. I'd ask that you remind us daily, and as we go into this next week, the importance of having those good emotional habits. And Let us be an example to others we're all experiencing similar feelings, similar doubts, similar challenges and obstacles. Because we're not designed to do this all on our own. That we reach out first to you as our Heavenly Father and that we reach out to those on this earth who we trust and confide within. We thank you for all that you are and all that you are in us. We lift this up in your Son, Jesus' holy name. Amen.